Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we learn from them and just why we like them. For those of you out there counting, this is episode number three, and it's coming at you on June 7th, 2017. My name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined by... Stu Gritter. There we go, Stu Gritter. So, um, if you're just tuning in for the first time... uh, Welcome, and we're glad to have you. Uh, If you really want to understand what is going on with this podcast, I really encourage you to go to Learn From Gaming. Uh, Yeah, it's learnfromgaming.com, right? Learnfromgaming.com? Oh, yeah. yeah, .com is where the internet is. Yeah, learnfromgaming.com. And, uh, you know, (laughs) just because I'm horrified that the website's not working, I'm going (laughs) to type from game. I just want to make sure it works. Um, just want to make sure it's still there. Episode um, three. Make sure the website works. Well, you know, yeah, the website does still work. Um, yeah, so it's still there. Uh, and do yourself a favor. Go look at About Us. There's a nice big mission statement that just explains, you know, that we both love video games. Uh, we think that there's intri- intrinsic ed- educational value in pretty much every game that you play. And this podcast is just about discovering that, talking about it, and just uh, bringing joy to your lives, making you feel good about your hobbies instead of like a bag of dirt like some people do. So, um, yeah, how about we just jump right into what... uh, Well, actually, do you want to talk about yourself at all? I love giving you the opportunity to talk about yourself. Um, Is there anything you'd like to let people know who are tuning in for the first time, Stu? Um, I'm just I'm I'm excited to talk about games because they're super great. <laughs> Hooray! <That's, laughs> I too am excited to talk about games. Um, well, that's good. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's just go. We're, we're just going to go into uh, what we learned this week. So, Stu, uh, this is the segment of the show where we discuss the things that we learned about gaming this week. Um, both you and I love tech. And we love gaming, so it only makes sense that we would love the news about it. And I mean, if you, the listener, have any updates that you would like to share with us, just go right to our email, or shoot something to our email at learnfromgamingpodcast.gmail.com. And uh, you want us to talk about a story, just shoot it into our email, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. So, Stu, I think you had something you wanted to bring up, so go right ahead. Um, actually, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to find it again. Did you lose? It yeah, yeah, it's gone, it's gone forever. <laughs> okay. um, do you want me to talk about some yeah, of my yeah, stuff? Yeah, you go first, yeah. Okay, so um, I do more than just play video games. Uh, I'm a very large man-child at heart, so I also like playing uh, tabletop games, and one of the games that I'm interested in right now is uh, Dark Age from Cool Mini or Not, and uh, it is basically having a renaissance right now. It's, a, it's an older miniature game. But it is really starting to flourish, distribution starting to amp up, and people are really getting interested in it. And it's getting a lot of positive coverage uh, from just uh, mostly all the regular online outlets. Even Geek and Sundry uh, featured it. So, um, but I was on the Facebook page, which is um, um, it's uh, Samaria Reborn, I believe. It's uh, Dark Age Samaria Reborn, which is where like all the game designers and everybody who likes the game is there talking about it and somebody posted a video from a gentleman off of a sorry I was playing with some paper uh, somebody posted a video um, from a guy off YouTube and the actually it's a group of people uh, called core a gaming on YouTube have you ever watched any of their videos Stu? 
I've happened upon them a couple times. Um, yeah, the the one that they were uh, talking about, and it's just because there's a very big competitive community for Dark Age, is they were talking about the consequences of reducing skill gap for games um, that already have an established audience. And the video was actually about Street Fighter, um, but they were trying to, uh, the person who posted it on Facebook was trying to create a parallel between that and Dark Age. I, I thought it was a little bit of a far stretch, if I could be honest, but the video was amazing. Um, it was very, very interesting. Uh, I would encourage anybody to just go and actually, that's actually the title. The title is Consequences of Reducing the Skill Gap for Games that Have Established Audiences. Um, and it's core, and then just a, a dash, A Gaming. Now, the, the channel itself is very much about established fighter players so it's about um people who take it seriously people who are competitive people who are professional um who who play and it's just it was such an interesting conversation about the difference between the casual gamer and the um well i mean just the the established gamer right so somebody entering the game compared to someone who's played it in in the case of street fighter like 20 years and um something that a lot of people don't realize is Street Fighter V um, in its current design uh, just keeps getting new like new rollouts, new patches and they're basically treating it like um, I guess the great the best comparison is uh, League of Legends um, in that they'll do rebalancing after every patch and we're, we're talking about Street Fighter where like guys are supposed to be balanced period right like the balance in a technical fighter is important it needs to be maintained in order to ensure that nobody has an advantage but the way that capcom is and this is this is the gamers talking i have street fighter 5 i don't engage with it a lot because i don't enjoy the changes i actually enjoy the original street fighter uh street fighter 2 sorry um the way that they're rolling things out is you can actually track uh, the advantages that some of the new characters, because they roll it out in DLC now, right? That's how everybody's trying to make their money is through the DLC. Um, so not only have they made the not only have they made the game that used to be all about precision incredibly easy and approachable, and there's a really good segment where somebody does basically a perfect block of a super move that. In the past, you needed to have the technical skills and precision that was almost perfect. Like, you needed to have the timing absolutely right or else you couldn't pull it off. And um, the guy doing the video does it to Shakira. Like, just taps the buttons to to a Shakira beat and pulls off the defense. So, <laughs> so that's the changes between Street Fighter 3 and Street Fighter 5. It's actually really entertaining to watch. So <laughs> if you have about, like, 8, eight to 10 minutes, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. But... Um, I thought it was valid. I thought it was valid. Like, if you are making a Street Fighter game, um, unfortunately, the fighter genre is not what it was, right? And it's not, unless you're doing something right, it's not going to be the next big esport. And I'm not like trying to be harsh or anything, like because fighters were one of the first esports ever, um, and especially Street Fighter, but. I don't know what Capcom's doing with Street Fighter V just confuses me. Like their their Ultra Street Fighter Two that just came out is supposed to be really really good, uh, except the price point seems a bit high. Um, 
but it's just going right back to the basics. Uh, and, and like, I don't envy big companies that are trying to figure out what to do with their, uh, with their franchises. Like, do you refresh them? Do you dumb them down so that anybody can enter? But like, what's the appeal to, uh, is it a lesser product if it's dumbed down? Like, what, what are your thoughts on this, Stu? Do you, do you understand what I, I mean? Yeah, like, basically yeah. making a game more approachable. And I think, well, I don't necessarily think that it makes it a lesser game straight up. It's just, especially in trying to appeal to the, like, the viewership, like getting Twitch viewers and all that kind of thing. Um, they want, and like you, you touched on uh, esports there for a sec, things have to be more approachable for it to be a big esport event, right? Yeah. Um, I think when you need Street to Fighter kicked up, yeah, when Street Fighter kicked up, it was a big thing in esports, but all the people there watching it knew a lot about Street Fighter then. Um, yeah. And I think that, so they're trying to make it more approachable and that, I I don't know, that that's something that I... I don't have a firm grasp. I think it's kind of a nebulous area <laughs> in terms of dumbing it down, making uh, something approachable. Well, is How much I, is that cheapening it? You know what? We, really what's know. funny is I'm struggling against this idea when this is what we've been talking about for almost, uh, well, literally for three episodes, uh, four episodes if you count the alpha, and that's um, uh, gaming literacy. The type of understanding of a game, the type of like just understanding the mechanics and stuff like that, like to enter the fighting realm, especially the technical fighting realm, that um, like the the one of the greatest aspects of Street Fighter, especially Street Fighter Two, was it was an incredibly approachable game that also happened to have incredible depth and balance. Yeah, um, you could anybody could pick up the controller and intuitively figure out how to play. But it took somebody a lot of time to actually get get good. Um, and and that was a tagline for a lot of games for a while, right? Easy, what, easy yeah. to play, difficult to master, or that kind of thing? Yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, now trying to promote literacy in Street Fighter, has, Cop, uh, has Capcom just opted to easy to play, easy to master? It, it's like they've... Yeah, but I don't know. It, it's weird. It's almost like creating pop music instead of opera or something, right? Like <laughs> it's just <laughs> it. There, there's an argument to there being a finer taste somewhere, but yeah. You, you, no, I understand. It, it, we, and these highly technical games, it's not the same as any other thing where you could say, well, you know what, the opera's coming through. You know, whatever your favorite. Um, orchestra is coming through where they're doing a song that you really like so you're going to drop a huge stack of money to go see that people don't do that with video games if they decided to make street fighter super uber wicked crazy great nine million names really hard for only the hardcorest people <laughs> and charge a hundred dollars for it or two hundred dollars for it to try and make up the, the financial gap that they would lose on sales i just don't think it would be like it's just not financially viable for them at this point yeah, yeah, and I mean, Capcom has been struggling to produce any kind of hit um, for the last little while. I mean, it, it's so interesting uh, that that company could not do wrong in 
the late 80s and straight through almost to the 2000s like they just it was one hit after another after them another out. and it's they, gorgeous um and yeah it's uh, it very similar to a lot of other japanese companies um i they're they're struggling 20 years later they're struggling to figure out what they're doing they're neglecting the niche audiences that they have in in some respects i mean street fighter or ultra street fighter 2 the final challengers for switch is um a very clear indication that they recognize that there are there is an audience for that game they wouldn't have created it if if there wasn't um because capcom's at that point now where they would rather mind nostalgia than release nothing um so yeah it's it's hard but this does bring me to my next point um which was we when i went back and listened to uh the episode where i talked about the original street fighter 2 um we just totally dropped the ball on talking about cultural representation within those games because <laughs> like, you you wanted to talk about blanca and i was like yeah man we'll totally get back to it and yeah. then we talked and stopped and totally forgot about it so i feel like um like we can just touch on it now like if you uh the listener if you've never played a street fighter game just do yourself a favor go to youtube look at a video um, especially Blanca, or just try to figure out like which people come from which nationalities, and uh, the first thing that'll hit you is just the stark, obvious caricatures that these uh, the, the characters in the game inhabit. Yeah. With the exception of Blanca, I do not believe Blanca is an accurate representation of a South American individual. Um, but then again, neither is T-Hawk an accurate representation of a central american <laughs> individual no no not really um and it's really just sort of japanese uh conjecture but um yeah there's some there's some complicated situations going on there but at the end of the day it's sort of like a cartoon fighter and it's not like we're gonna get, we're gonna call racism on a 20 year old game um are we I don't know. It's just it's it's an interesting it was a different time. Thing. It was a different yeah. time. Um, the fact that they keep producing these same characters over and over again, and actually, I would argue, if you uh, if you play Street Fighter Four, they introduced a Greek character that just greases himself up in oil, and like an American wrestler who's like super fat. Um. Yeah, some complicated. <laughs> some complicated <laughs> i think there's still uh, but i don't know if they were just trying to, uh, to to just wink and nod at the original concepts that they were creating back in the 90s or 80s but i don't know yeah. just such like what can we learn approaching these games except that you're actually just playing a like the like a, a sunday funnies kind of cartoon character in a fighter yeah yeah, it's it's um, it's it's like any other piece of art too, where you know the way it's received is going to be the way it's perceived is going to change. You know, ten twenty years down the road, it's just yeah, it's it's so so different. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, if it was a brand new franchise and they did that, I think <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that that uh, that wouldn't go over so well. No, no. Um... I mean, some of the best fighters out there right now, like Skull, Skull Girls. Um, it's a bunch of different 
girls, um, but it's like anime girl tropes. Um, and then uh, Blaze Blue and uh, Guilty Gear, uh, the exact same thing. These are all just anime concepts um, <laughs> instead of uh, real world caricatures and they have the luxury now now for some reason fighters uh it, it just it makes more sense to make them not in the real world um because then you don't have to worry about hurting anybody's feelings does that make sense yeah or being yeah. like also like um it's easier to have the, the biggest the top stuff <laughs> yeah and the biggest problem is sometimes you don't realize that your ignorance is there right um so you might think that a concept is cool uh, and what you're doing is you're actually insulting somebody somewhere. So yeah. uh, making it from another world is safe. Um, but yeah, was there anything? Tell me, why do you like Blanca? Tell me. Just from when I used to play, he was my go-to character as well. Okay, that's fair. And it, it was the most, uh, he was, yeah, the most otherworldly, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Because next to him, it was Dalsum, like, stretchy elastic. Yeah, man. yeah. Um, yeah, there would be stranger characters that emerged in... I think Street Fighter Three is the best example. Uh, there was, like, an elastic character uh, similar to Dalsum, but he was literally a genetically engineered monster. And then there was a guy named Necro, uh, who was sort of the same vein. But... Uh, yeah, okay. Well, hey, let's put uh, Street Fighter to rest for now. And was there anything you wanted to talk about? Um, oh, I totally got distracted. I was supposed oh, to be looking. <laughs> yeah. You um, were supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> I got to the sunset. was really pretty. Um, the, uh, I guess... Hmm, I've been tracking a couple other uh, early access games recently. Um, one which I might talk about later, but... Uh, I'm also really excited that uh, some people are currently playing early versions of AI War 2. That's good. I mean, you and I loved AI War. It was harder to get a lot of other people onto it, but uh, you and I had a lot of fun with that game. Yeah. That's from Arson, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to kind of keep a close eye on the development of that. Um, Chris Arkin has been pretty good about, in the past and through all of his other projects, he's been really good about putting a lot of uh, a lot of updates there's a lot of communication toward uh, the followers so it should be good to see watch that development take place and uh, yeah that'll be interesting okay. so then for our listeners out there um ai war was basically a collaborative uh, it could be collab oh, well no at the end of the day it really is just collaborative it's a collaborative excuse me, a collaborative, like, tower, not even tower defense, because you're in space, so it's like a collaborative base-building game, where what you're trying to do is clean the universe of a an incredibly dangerous AI, and each time you clear a, po a pocket of space, things get harder. Um, and you get access to more resources, so it's not a big deal, um, but the longer you take, the harder the game gets, and the more successful you are, the harder the game gets. And um, if you don't do things right... And I think what you're doing is you're trying to get to the AI's core to destroy it. Um, I, I can't remember. It's been a few years. Yeah, I yeah. just remember that we would have, like, long, sprawling um, properties. Uh, and by properties, I mean uh, uh, borders. And we would always have, like, those gateway hubs where we would just pile all of our defenses and hope to hell they couldn't break through. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was neat. It was an yeah. interesting game, so... 
Yeah, it was a re- it was refreshing. Like it was, uh, I'd never played anything like it. It's it's it was only, it was not just. Yeah, it was a, well, yeah, it was a I, new concept. It was it was really interesting. Yeah, and I when I saw the stuff for number two, I was interested, but it was at a time where I was buying. I mean, I'm still sort of in the shitter for money. <laughs> it was at the time where I was buying a house and doing all kinds of other stuff, and it just it wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm kind of sad I wasn't able to support that when I had the chance. But um, is it is there like a a post sale for early access? Um, probably not. Well, though it depends what they decide to do with Steam. If they do an early access thing on Steam or something like that. Yeah, if they do early access, I'll one hundred percent pick it up. If it hits Steam, it's it's going to be in my library. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, thank you for letting me know about that. Um, but that's uh, yeah, that's just about it. Okay. So then, um, all right. You know what? Let's uh, let's move into the next section. So, next section is what we learned from gaming, uh, and this is what I'm assuming you're all here for, and this is the section of the show where we each pick a game that we played, and then we describe what we learned from it and why we like it. So, Stu, do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? Um, I guess I can go first. That's Okay, fine. yeah, if you want to, you're more than, if you want to. Um, so I'm going to talk about Jetpack today. Jetpack, um, it's an old MS-DOS game. I don't know what released in 1993 <laughs> of course you don't know what it is most people i think most people probably won't um it was released as freeware um there's sorry it was released as shareware herp derp. yeah um with i think like 10 10 levels that you could play um the full version had 100 levels and i don't remember if the full or the shareware had them had a level editor um but that's kind of the the crux of why I'm doing this. So it, it was kind of like a load runner game, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love loader load runner. <clears throat> so it, you're kind of looking at a pie slice of a, like the a side view of a level um, with ladders and platforms and enemies around, and you have a little dude. You got to run around and pick up gems, and once you get all the gems, a door will open, and if you get to the door, you go to the next level. Hooray! Um, <laughs> okay. And there's yeah. so it, it was like that. Jet the the gimmick in jetpack was you had a jetpack and there were different things that would give or take away fuel. Um, a bunch of different monster types. Um, so there were there was a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and you had a a fancy oh I forget what they called it, but you had the a weapon that could not do damage to enemies but you could break some blocks open so that you could okay. go through them or go down or dig through things just to help help with mobility and add another interesting mechanic um, so that was all good it was all fun enough by itself but the level editor it was the first game that I played that had a big level editor okay so, so like better than uh, better than load runners uh, editor right um, I don't know if Loadrunner had a level editor, at least none of the early it, versions that I played. It did, but um, you had to have a PC to, to to use it, and you had to have... I, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you had to have, like, the executable um, to use it. Okay. There was, there was also a very crappy level editor for, um, for NES as well, for Loadrunner. <laughs> nice. Well, that makes sense. 
uh, yeah, so that was um, the first time that I had to sit down and look at, you know, what what made levels interesting, what made levels fun, how do these game mechanics work together, um, and it was, uh, yeah, it kind of quickly, you know, you, you it doesn't take long before you're learning more about oh things that are too easy aren't fun things that are too hard are also not fun <laughs> finding yeah. finding the right balance of things you know just not being a dick to whoever's playing is really really important all the time um, okay, cool. yeah it made you think a little bit more critically about about the process of playing <laughs> instead of having like it, it made the challenges since you're creating them for somebody else it, you had to kind of analyze them a little bit differently and get to know what made things easier or harder yeah so it stood out to me for for that reason in particular okay um what kind of personal engagement did you have with it like did you make levels that you would play with your brothers um well pretty much anybody else who had that game we would swap levels around and just kind of see you know what kinds of things people were playing with so you know learning how to how to make switches work with monsters and make interesting traps with them or make you know timing puzzles or that kind of thing versus mm, trying to get really really precise jump jump moves in there um, and then there's a, a little bit of community building around that and people sitting down and figuring out you know why okay this level is mostly good except for this part why why is this part so stupid you know, <laughs> this this yeah. this corner of your level is just full of dumb and nobody likes it so do something yeah. do something else so was this like the the grand age of uh the forum as well so or were there actually chat rooms uh this was like floppies oh shit yeah um so then so the community was literally the people you knew yeah yeah um i i suspect there probably were forums and bbs's floating about um i think now that you mention it i think the main i might be thinking of uh an old epic game but i thought they actually had like a link to a bbs from their main menu so yeah it's entirely possible that there was uh, a really early online community for it okay <laughs> oh, pioneer um yeah yeah okay uh so then hmm um what about pros and cons for the game well it was <laughs> it was very approachable <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it was a, a yeah a platformer probably only had two to three buttons to do things right yeah and uh i don't know there there were i mean just like anything else there were some blocks that were more interesting to use there were some blocks that made i don't know c certain things that felt like a clever puzzle and certain things that didn't and i think anytime anyone made a level with things that weren't interesting or weren't clever it's always always kind of a downside um, <laughs> yeah um you um you have done you've done a thing Stu, and i don't know if you actually realize that you did it uh this type of game and this type of experience um has been flawlessly replicated in a really positive way 
in the new Mario Maker for the Wii U and oh, for yeah. the 3DS. Yeah. And um, just the, the access to online content, uh, being able to play other people's levels, like um, the, the obligation for the online, like you're obligated to play online, you can't play it any other way. But like it is the perfect realization of this concept. Yeah. Um, where you can also sort of upvote and downvote somebody's levels. Um, the game has metrics installed in it that track whether or not a level is winnable. And the, you know, the ones that are, they get graded and scaled, and then you can play them based on difficulty parameters that you set in the game. Um, and then you just you get to choose how you engage with it. Like You can just spend the entire time making levels, or you can spend the entire time playing levels. Um, and it's just, God, like, it's amazing that uh, almost 25 years later, uh, from Jetpack and also Load Runner or longer, like almost 30, mm-hmm. like, we have finally gotten there, and it was, it, it is well done. Like, have you ever played Mario Maker? Very, well, very little. Okay. <laughs> uh, did you play a lot of Mario growing up? With it. No, yeah. no, not a ton of Mario because we we never you really had console. consoles. So no, um, yeah, because it is just like it, it hits the nostalgia buttons hard. Yeah, uh, just because it does, you get to choose which type of Mario you're playing. You can play the original. You can play Super Mario Three. You can play Super Mario World. Or no, you can't play Super Mario Three. Sorry, that's my bad. You can play Super Mario World, or you can play like the Wii uh, version of Mario. Uh, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's um, just so many tools. It was such a thoughtful, creative type of, um, like, it's a game and a tool at the same time. And I feel like it it accomplishes what they wanted it to because I have played some incredible, incredible levels in Mario Maker and also encountered some unbeatable, horrible <laughs> levels. Oh, yeah. So... Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we could almost dedicate... I could dedicate an episode to Mario Maker and just the... Uh, uh, so maybe I will sometime, but... Because uh, <laughs> I'm kind of still on your thunder. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's... Well, but, that, that's just it. It is like a new, newer version of this this principle of having, you know, building blocks in a sandbox and trying to create a thing for somebody else to yeah. play. Yeah, or just play it yourself. Yeah. And yeah. This, and the same okay. the same things around, you know, making things beatable or not beatable. I, I mean or even interesting to play. Um Jetpack had level had had blocks. Like it was <coughs> the, it's all tile-based map creation. So the, you you hmm. could have blocks that looked like they were solid but they weren't. So you could, you know, have them you could make a maze. Oh, you could do that in Load Runner too. You could have the disintegrating yeah. blocks that when you stepped on them, you'd fall through. Well, except in this one, it's you have a jetpack, so they could be as high as you want. You can literally make a maze from any from one side of the the screen to the other that you can't see. And ha ha ha, that's really hard. Ha ha. <laughs> why that's, would you do that? That's not fun. Why would you, Why would you do <laughs> no. that? You're yeah. a terrible person. Oh my god. Yeah, that is not fun. That does not sound fun at all. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, from a, I mean, from a learning standpoint, from an educational standpoint, I love this type of game. Um, it promotes a type of creation 
that is so pivotable or so pivotable, so, so pivotal pivotable. for uh, yeah, so pivotal for young level designers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is such a great tool to have. Uh, Mario Maker is an incredible tool to have. If you're just a fledgling level maker, you want to understand the mechanics of what makes a good or bad level. Um, definitely give that game a shot. I'm not saying don't go back to Jetpack. You can definitely go back to Jetpack okay. if you want. Um, but uh, if you're looking for a place to start in this genre, and if you are really interested in level design, Mario Maker, either for the Wii U or for the 3DS, yeah. is just Fantastic a home run. Tool. Home run. Um, so yeah, man. Very cool. Was there anything else you wanted to say about it? Do you want to summarize? Um, I guess I'd, I'd like to think that there's more that you glean from it than just like honing a level crafting skill. I do think some of the stuff that comes out through not just community building, but um, it just coming coming to learn more about the community and the other people who are playing because it's levels aren't just static things for people to interact with like they people do different things with them and it is really important to understand and and to learn that no matter what people create other people are going to go about you know resolving this thing in different ways so even like a static level like jetpack it's something that's really important to think about not just in level design but uh, no but that's something yeah that's something you understand better if you ever play a tabletop role-playing game like D, and if you're a gm and you've made oh, a game yeah. and then you have that one player that just breaks it across his everything knee. yeah um it yeah it, it's it's a better it's a more pure way of learning something like oh if you play a recent deus ex game you could be sneaky or you could be combaty or you could be this other archetype or that that kind of shit people people always approach games in a certain way like and it they'll always be different from one person to the next yeah god just like music just like any any art form right it's uh subjective dependent on the person mm-hmm which is, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes I need to be a little more open to that. Uh, I mean, we're all sort of victims of, uh, of our own headspace, but sometimes I, I don't always understand why other people don't like the stuff I like. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I get lost up there sometimes, yeah. Okay, well, um, cool. Any, any just last parting words before I start jumping into my game? No, I think that's good. That's good. Okay. Well then, um, I also decided to jump into the realm of PC this year. This year, oh my god, this episode. <laughs> um, it's a glorious year of our, uh, of, of our lives. Um, but um, the game I want to talk about is Warcraft, Orcs and Humans. The original Warcraft for, for PC. Now this was a game that was designed and published by Blizzard Entertainment back in uh, 1994. And it was a real-time strategy. Now, um, all you, all you StarCraft fans, I hope, I just hope, because there hasn't been an installment of Warcraft in such a long time, uh, outside of World of Warcraft. I just hope you understand that StarCraft came from everything that was learned from Warcraft and Warcraft Two. 
Um, and it just ended up being incredibly good. Like when it came to learning lessons from previous installments, Blizzard did a really good job. Yeah. The, the same could be argued for Diablo, like the first Diablo and then moving into Diablo two, like Diablo two was the masterpiece yeah. um, of, of that type of genre and of like that type of game. And um, I would say that Starcraft, Starcraft, the original Starcraft really caught was the pinnacle the, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, really caught the the RTS, and just made it made for an incredible game. But I want to talk about Warcraft, and there's there's a number of reasons why I want to talk about Warcraft. So let's let's get to the uh, the mechanics. Uh, I just gotta have a drink. Sorry, I'm a little stuffed up today, so if I sound a little weird or breathy, that's why. So. Um, the core mechanics, you collect resources and you use them to build your base. And then you also use them to create your army. Uh, and the goal is defeating your opponent. Uh, this game had a single player dungeon, or it also had single player dungeon missions that were designed with finite numbers of troops and no resource collection. Um, so there was also no production options. And these were designed specifically so that you would learn how to use your troops properly. Um, I remember those levels were some of the most brutal because the thing about a resource uh, a resource gathering game is you can always make more troops. In the levels where you couldn't make more troops and you had to know what you were doing, um, I was 11 <laughs> when I was playing this game. And that was a concept uh, that I was slowly coming around to. But I mean, you know, like I, growing up, I played things like chess and you eventually understand the value of the piece that you have and its abilities. Um, but I mean, this was a completely new realm. It was real time. Uh, it was real time strategy. You had to think on your feet and you had to react. Uh, like realistically, the game was slow. Um, but even even slow real time is faster than turn based. Yeah. So, in terms of educational theories and thoughts, also like the the level design for that. I'm not saying it's Mastercraft. I think there was a lot of lessons that they learned in the first War uh, Warcraft that you would see in Warcraft 2 and then in Starcraft and you even saw them in Starcraft 2 like there were levels where you didn't produce any units in Starcraft 2 you just used what you had um also I keep forgetting Warcraft 3 Warcraft 3 had a lot of that especially for the um the night elves there was like a an assassin character that you had to play and she always had to get to the end of the level so um in terms of educational theories and thoughts uh, resource management and micromanagement are key to success in the original Warcraft. Um, this game forces you to juggle base expansion uh, with army building, and at a speed that is a bit more forgiving than later generations uh, like StarCraft. Um, so this game also demanded an understanding of the unit's strengths and weaknesses, and it rewarded you for tactical thinking and the use of strategy. And due to the real-time element, the ability to adapt quickly while the clock was uh, was running. And that was generally uh, rewarded. So uh, it is my belief that this genre as a whole uh, helps... So just to be clear, uh, RTSs, it's my personal feeling that uh, they help develop dynamic and strategic players of games. Um, if you are good at an RTS, I'm not going to say that you're going to be good at everything... But like your response to problems within a game, especially a real-time game, regardless of what it is, um, it, once you understand the mechanics of that game, it, it's my personal belief that you 
will be able to adapt, regardless of the situation. I'm not saying you're going to be the champion who kills everything, but you will be a dynamic and adaptable player. Um, and, 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 I mean, <laughs> I have no empirical evidence to uh, to prove that. that. That's just how I feel. Like, the, the really good RTS players that I know also happen to excel at almost every other game. Um, so of all the, uh, the Warcraft games, uh, this feels closest to chess, um, but in an RTS kind of way. Um, but I, I feel like it was the closest thing to real-time chess. Um, so, I mean, in terms of personal engagement, I played through Westwood's Dune 2, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the, the grandfather of RTSs. I don't know if there's anything that came before it. Um, but, uh, the reason why I didn't choose Dune 2 and the reason why this game, so why Warcraft actually grabbed me, um, and the rest of my family, was, uh... I, like we we had been introduced to RTSs because of Dune Two, we had all played it, but it had no multiplayer. Um, this game had multiplayer components through Direct Link. Have you ever played a game Direct Links to? Um, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, I used to do um, Red Alert all the time, and Quake actually. So, <laughs> so anybody out there who uh has never played a game direct link it's very similar to a land party um very very similar except that the link cable goes directly from one pc to the other and these cables their heads were huge like imagine the <laughs> yeah. largest printer uh printer end you've ever seen with like all the uh all the spindly little uh copper parts at the end like um just <laughs> like we had four of those cables because um I don't know. We would we would hook up the the computers, and the cables were never long enough, so it'd just be like this cable that ran <laughs> across the room, yep. um, and then we'd always have to unhook it so that we could uh, <laughs> walk out. Um, but uh, yeah, and we'd always bust the pins in the uh, the heads, so we had four of them. But um, yeah, like we that was the first game I ever played Direct Link, and it was the first time I ever played um, an RTS against another person. So, man, like, we did so much in that game. I remember one time, um, I can't remember if there was a level editor in that game or if it was in Warcraft 2, but I remember in Warcraft 1, I would always play the orcs, and the orcs, in my opinion, had a bit of an advantage. Like, the, the races were okay balanced. Uh, humans got healing, but orcs got daemons, um... Both humans and orcs could summon uh, with their strongest mag uh, strongest magic using unit, but the orc daemon was just a beast, like a huge tank that hit like a truck. Uh, compared to the uh, the humans' water elemental, it just there was there was no comparison. It was unfair. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever played a game where I could dig into a forest and then like, just through resource gathering. And then use that hole that I dug into the forest as like a defensive structure. And then put a catapult in there and just shoot at people as they were going by. And then because of the fog of war, they couldn't always see it. Like it was, there was so many strategies you could use for that game. Um, and I always really, really enjoyed it. And it's sort of where I got my preference for playing the monsters. Um, I liked the concept of the orcs. Uh, so I just, 
I kept doing that. It's also why I gravitated towards the Zerg when uh, StarCraft came out. I just, I like playing the monsters. I don't know why. Uh, it was just something I ended up enjoying because it was different. So then um, the pros of this game is like Azeroth is a pretty colorful world. I know that um, when you played the orc levels, it was a lot of browns and <laughs> oranges and very uh, mud tone. But uh, you get into like the, the human areas and it was all the lush green and blue in colors that were not particularly common on PC prior to a game like this. Um, it was one of the first RTS games that I ever played multiplayer. It was literally where the whole Warcraft story started. If you have the manual for that game, there is some very <laughs> nice lore in it. Yeah. Like, it is a nice book. Uh, it's got some goofy, goofy images in it. Um, some nice art. Like, if you can ever get your hands on a complete in-box uh, version of the original Warcraft, there's... It's nice. It's like, it's got some there, good yeah. stuff in there. Um, and, uh, spoilers, the orcs win. <laughs> the, or the orcs win uh warcraft one mm -hmm. uh cons uh the factions aren't perfectly balanced as i've suggested uh also um rts as a genre has come a long way since this game and it can be a little hard to go back like i said this game is slow even if you speed it up in dosbox it's still like well then it's it, it's it starts to get a little more unmanageable also, the feature creep and enhanced uh, UI options in later generations of the game, like anything from even just setting teams with uh, control 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, um, or auto-selecting every type of a unit by double-clicking on it, like this stuff didn't exist. Or being able to select more than four units at a time. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. In the first one, I don't even think you could select more than one. In the first Warcraft, I don't I, think you could select I, more than one unit. I, uh, was it only one? I don't remember. I thought it was four, but I could be mistaken. Um, maybe it was four, because I know with number two, you could select up to eight. Um, yeah, it was, just, it yeah. was either eight or 16. The, 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 um, the leaps and bounds in interface, yeah, make make it a hard game to go back to, I think. Yeah. Um, but, it, and, but it's a gem. Like, especially, since, yeah, especially since other Blizzard properties, or properties do such a better job. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's hard. There's a reason why a lot of people don't really talk about this game mm -hmm. um, compared to other ones, because the other ones deserve it. This game is a great game, um, and I definitely enjoyed it in its heyday, but uh, I would rather play Warcraft 2, StarCraft, or Star StarCraft 2. You'll notice I left out Warcraft 3. Yeah, well, um, I didn't even know they made a third one. I must have blocked oh. it out. Wow, did you really not know they made a third one? No, Warcraft? I did. I just wish they never had because it's awful. Oh, yeah, no. Did you? Okay, actually, you know what? Let's get into it. Why did you not like Warcraft 3? Ugh. Oh. Oh, it was just garbage. The The balance was good, but you know what? The, the whole hero thing. Oh, I hated, hated the garbage. hero thing. Um, honest, honestly, man, like you hit it. Uh, when I started playing Warcraft 3... I can't explain my disappointment in the hero system. Yeah. It was like trying to force Diablo 2 into Warcraft. <laughs> and I kind of resented it. Um, like, a lot of people embraced it, a lot of people enjoyed it, but I felt like it felt better to just go back and play StarCraft because that was closer to the RTS kind of thing. Like, yeah kudos on blizzard they continue to innovate and try new things at least until they got into this century mm -hmm. um 
uh, although they are just killing it with uh, Overwatch right now, even though the Overwatch community is one of the... Uh, what was it? I came across it on, on Facebook today. I think one of my friends referred to it as the um, most vitriol-filled and toxic bog he has ever had to wade into. <laughs> and that's saying something, man. Yeah, that was uh, my good friend Tim Patton, who oh, plays yeah. competitive games on yeah. a regular basis. But yeah, he does not like the community. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, did not enjoy Warcraft 3 myself either. So I guess, um, I guess in summary, like Warcraft, it's a dated entry and it's rarely discussed. But it is the birth of the Warcraft universe. Um, th- this game would be overshadowed by its nearly flawless sequel. Um, it's a hard game to go back to and play now. But at the time, it was, an, it was amazing. Um, and it helped launch the RTS genre along with Command & Conquer, which was uh, the Westwood follow-up to, to Dune. It had nothing to do with Dune, but they took everything they learned from Dune 2, and they made a better game. Mm-hmm. Um there are some very valuable lessons learned from this game. Um, I, I took quite a few of them away. It was how I learned how to play RTSs. Um, and I I mean, I don't know where the genre would be without a Blizzard RTS. So, so um, I, I feel like this game had a lot of value and was very significant. And uh, I learned a lot from it. Um, I think you, uh, to, to try and get you know to try and capture that lightning in a bottle again i would say i i'm reluctant to say this but i would point people towards uh starcraft 2 starcraft 2 isn't a bad game it's just still changing 10 years after it was released (laughs) yeah yeah um the original starcraft is free now so that's an option too yeah yeah Uh, and that is the closest to a perfect version of a blizzard rts i think you're gonna get yeah it still has some limitations there's some quality of life changes that you get in starcraft 2 that aren't in number one but i don't know number one is still really good although uh, you know what um gosh what was that other game it was sort of like the uh the spiritual successor to uh total annihilation uh planetary um uh planetary annihilation's good uh, that's a, that's a nice RTS now, contemporary RTS, mm-hmm. but it's it's a different vein. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. RTSs, I I enjoy them, but very similar to fighters, they sort of had their day and moved on a little bit. There are other genres that are just banging it out now. Um. And I mean, like, I apologize to any uh, professional RTS players out there. It's just it's not the community it used to be. Well, and I think some of that is, uh, yeah, just that approachability again, right? Yeah. It's hard to, they're hard games to to play through. Um, Even if you go back and play through the Warcraft 1, Warcraft 2 campaigns, that's another really big change that you see from, like Warcraft 3, uh, Starcraft 2 campaigns are easy. Like, Incredibly like th- they are they are made for you to be able to go through them and kill a couple dudes and get a story. The I never had to cheat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> War- Warcraft one, Warcraft two, and some Starcraft one, um, including Brood War. Some of that stuff, man, 
was like the Warcraft 2 expansion and the Starcraft 1 expansions. They both like they both just scaled in difficulty. They assumed that if you bought the expansion, you must have gone through the campaign. Oh, so yeah. so the expansion Beyond it wasn't the like, Dark Portal yeah. was almost impossible. So it's not like the the newer ones where you know the the add-ons to StarCraft 2 are the same kind of um, pretty slow, lackadaisical. You know, you can relax through the campaign and kind of do whatever you want and enjoy it. Um, <laughs> never used to be the case. Yeah. These games would bend you over backwards. It was unbelievable. You know what, though? Um, for all the shit that StarCraft 2 gets now, um, and I'm not saying people talk about StarCraft 2 very often now, uh, considering how old it is, uh, even though they keep releasing expansions and saying that it's a new game. Mm-hmm. Um, the campaigns for starcraft 2 were fun yeah i, I like the ability to choose the ar- like the, yeah, to, the army modification yeah. was brilliant yeah that was so awesome i really really enjoyed that um yeah okay well yeah that was my game <laughs> so so there you go um i guess we can sort of segue into the into the next part now which is um what can you teach us now Stu, has anybody given you any emails or anything lately um not as of no no (laughs) okay i'm gonna check my email quick but something tells me that even our good friend mr robert ring um did not send anything in this week so uh, if you will just hold on for a second, I have to remember the password. And let's take a look. I've got a bunch of thank yous from Patreon because I did some Patreon stuff. No, there is no email. That's kind of sad, but it's okay. Um, so just to let the uh, just to let the listeners know, Uh, Stu and I love talking about video games, but we also enjoy hearing from you. Uh, If you feel like you have a valuable lesson uh, that you learned from a game, please feel free to to share it with us. Um, Just uh, send us an email at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll read whatever you send us. Literally, uh, last time I read a bunch of swear words. (laughs) So so feel free. Um, Okay, so then... Stu, let's go into our next section, which is what we've been playing. So uh, I just talked a whole bunch. Stu, why don't you tell me what you've been playing lately? Well, I'm glad you touched on RTSs because a few of us decided to go in on a game called Northgard. Okay, I'm going to look at that right now. What is it? So Northgard is an RTS, but it is a fairly slow-paced RTS. There's not a lot of massive um macro micro to go on um there's a little bit of micro that you can you can do to get tiny efficiencies out but uh it's it's definitely not a huge part um the premise is that you and everybody else on the map um it could be free for all or 1v1 or 2v2 or 2v2v2 or 3v3 or something like that i think um okay and it's it's the game is still in early access but uh the yeah, the, see that right the now responses and everyone everyone has been pretty thrilled with it so far but uh so you're on this this 
land mass with other people. Um, and you represent a, a Viking clan, basically. And yep. you have to survive and become the bestest clan there be. So there are a few different victory conditions, uh, much like you would see in something like Civ. So there's like a science tree that you can go up or a fame and honor tree that you can go up. Or you could just beat the ever-loving crap out of everybody and be the only one around. Um, nice, yeah. Or become a merchant king. Um, or every map has a special um, a special map-bound uh, victory objective in the middle. So that would be like the world tree is there, and if you colonize around the world tree, then you win. Or there will be like magma flows, and if you recraft Odin's sword, then you win, that kind of thing. That seems fair, yeah. If you had the sword of Odin, I feel like you would just rock yeah. as a Viking clan. <laughs> so it's 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 really interesting. The different clans have different bonuses to them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It simplifies a lot of irritating things about managing town building so it's it's quite approachable but quite enjoyable as well we've uh we've had a really good time with it okay yeah um that's in my price range maybe in a few weeks <laughs> but uh that you've got my interest like that it i i like the aesthetic it looks nice it's on steam right now um if you're in canada it's 18 bucks it's got to be cheaper everywhere else um yeah, that's uh, cool. That's cool. It looks cool. It kind of looks like uh, if contemporary graphics had a baby with um, Age of Empires. I'm just going to let that one sit. Okay. Yeah. Or Age of Empires Mythologies. <laughs> Age of Mythology. Oh, hey, Age of Mythology. Looks like Age there of Mythology. <laughs> A little bit like a contemporary version of Age of Mythology if all you played was the Vikings. Um, cool. Yeah. Nice okay. Game. Yeah. Um, you, have you played anything else? Nope. That's, that's, that's it. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, um, are, you, uh, are you ready for my game? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> it's not good. Uh... It's... <laughs> The problem is when I'm like phone based and uh, and 3ds based, and I keep forgetting my 3ds in the basement when I go hang out with uh, my wife while we wait for our son to go to sleep at night. Um, I just spend way too much time on my cell phone. And uh, mobile game, uh, the mobile game I want to talk about today is Monster Super League. I think it just used to be Monster League, um, and. <laughs> The reason why I'm playing this game, I was playing Bit Heroes last week, and yes, this may seem like I'm fickle, but it's just, there's a little bit more depth to this game. I'm still playing other games like uh, Seven Guardians, uh, but again, that's sort of a passive game that you can just sort of sit back and watch and you don't really have to control too much, whereas um, Monster Super League is the just this crude little attempt at a uh i don't know uh, it's almost pokemon-esque only you make parties with the creatures that you catch um the the rock paper scissor wheel is very simple it's just like wood fire water and then light and dark are in their own 
little wheel against each other so they're super effective against each other but all the other elements don't hurt them as bad and they don't hurt the other elements as bad um and it's just got more depth um you you get creatures that can heal and have dedicated roles you get um you get status effects that can come along with attacks that your creatures can do you can raise them evolve them stuff like that and um something that we haven't really communicated properly on this podcast yet is that i'm a huge pokemon fan um i grew up playing pokemon like crazy and i've played every generation that's ever come out so uh yeah it uh it hits some of the right buttons for a mobile game to hit and um I'm actually, you know what, I've been enjoying it a lot more. Uh, I've completely abandoned that Donna Titans game that I told you about last time. <laughs> yeah. um, I love that we have gotten to a point where that's a possibility, where you can play. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the the AI is just so trash, um, it, it's not much of a challenge. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah, I'm enjoying this more. There's a little bit of... The, the PvP is not real PvP in uh, Monster League. It's just you fighting whoever's already there, and their guys just doing automatic stuff. You can also just choose to let the computer do everything for you, um, but as you get into higher levels of difficulty, it makes sense for you to control stuff. Um, if you're just grinding, you can let the computer do it. And I want to talk about contemporary free-to-play and the format so Stu, what is your understanding of contemporary free-to-play uh how, how do you think that it works as a business model well typically your microtransactions are supported by they call them whales right uh yes so uh, a, yeah so actually that's a... an extra credits uh that's an extra credits video uh definitely oh, go okay. and check out uh, the yeah no there's a there's a free-to-play one and it talks specifically about whales so if okay. you just look up extra credit yeah. free to play um you'll get everything you want to know about that um but yeah explain what a whale is well basically it's that these free-to-play games you know most people aren't interested in throwing money at them um but you, there's a very small small percentage of the community that has the expendable income and th they're the, the the tiniest part of the community but they're really the ones kind of keeping the business afloat by dumping tons and tons and tons of cash into something <laughs> yeah um yeah so i'm not a whale uh by any stretch of the imagination again uh if i throw money at a game i usually limit myself to about 20 30 bucks never more and for a mobile game i feel 30 bucks is often generous too much um uh, monster super league doesn't make me feel obligated to spend money um uh, the uh, the major currency that you use to buy all the extra stuff like um, I detest stamina bars, mm -hmm. I really freaking hate them. Um, but they're in this game. Um, I never find it an issue because I never feel like I'm playing long enough to actually deplete it. But that might just be my busy lifestyle. Um, that said, if I wanted to buy more stamina, I have. So far in my play, I've been able to access more than enough of the premium currency just through playing uh, to keep buying new monsters like the premium monsters through uh, through the regular store or um, and it's all just random, right? It's uh, it's very much like a collectible card game like you just buy a pack and then if you get a premium, good for you. Um, 
if you save up, you get rewarded because you've got better chances for a premium and then like um, a variant which has special abilities. So the the pay to play aspect, I can see where where that might come in. Like if you're just impatient, you don't want to do all the waiting and you just want to buy everything right away. But um, yeah, I'm, I I don't know if it's just that it's just because I'm a veteran mobile gamer, but uh, this game has been so much more approachable than some other ones that basically force you to spend the money to get the good gear. Um, and sometimes it's not as obvious that that's what they're doing, but uh, this game, it's not the case. Um, and it's actually from a developer that um, that I kind of like. Uh, it's either a developer or a designer. I, I can never tell who's designing and who's developing, and I should probably just uh, Facebook it, but uh, uh, 433... Um, so like as though it were a time, that's the, uh, that's the name of the company. Um, and I think they're Korean and they they also made the, uh, the seven, seven guardians game that I play. So I figured I'd give this game a shot. Um, it's all very anime esque, uh, but actually a different aesthetic than the seven guardians game. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of enjoying it. It's, uh, it's nice. It's even better than. Uh, Bit Heroes, which I found to be a bit too primitive. Um, and uh, just, again, as a JRPG fan, this uh, this dings enough bells and uh, feels enough like a bad Pokemon clone to keep me entertained while I'm waiting for my son to go to sleep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so there I am. And there you are. And here we are at the end of the show. So, um... Yeah, that's it for this episode. Uh, Stu, did you have anything you wanted to plug? Um, anything you're doing? Oh, anything you're looking at? I guess I guess I half plugged Northgard. Um, yeah, for sure, definitely, it's, it's, and um, Arson Games too, right? Yeah, yeah, they're always worth checking out. Um, no, nothing else super interesting has uh, come across my path recently. I've been really busy which is probably why <laughs> yeah same here um yeah nothing nothing else comes to mind okay uh for me i'm gonna i'm gonna do some shameless corporate or no shameful actually corporate plugs um if you like street fighter i hear that ultra street fighter 2 for the switch is awesome now if you happen to have the money to throw at ultra street fighter 2 and a switch good for you please send me some because i would also like a switch after street fighter 2 yeah. um but uh on top of that the kickstarter has started and is in full swing for um cool mini or nots zombicide the green horde oh yeah and it is like that's the thing about cool mini or not they will always deliver an incredible tabletop experience for uh for board games especially i've never been disappointed um zombicide more than most is really fun the medieval zombicides are the closest thing i've seen to a hero quest-esque kind of game but with zombicide rules um and this kickstarter is just chugging along they are breaking goal after goal after goal so anybody who backs it already has i think more extra characters and monsters than there are regular characters in the game wow. like it is just 
insane. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a statement to the pedigree of the brand, yeah. right? Yeah. Cool Mini or not, when when they throw a Kickstarter, they don't f around, um, and they really reward anybody who jumps in on it, and they make so much bank. Um, I won't be surprised. Uh, I think this. I'm gonna actually look right now because I'm fascinated. I think this one is a Kickstarter. Um, I want to see what the goal was, but they broke it in, I think, a minute. <laughs> As they always do. Yeah, um, yeah Green Horde, <laughs> they're already at $2 million. Um, Their goal was 300000 They're at 2, 318, or $318,601. So they still have 19 days to go. I haven't seen... I can't remember the last time I saw a video game <laughs> get that much. And yeah. this is a board game. Right? They just smash it. Like, Cool Mini or Not are, and Guillotine Games must be laughing. And this is why they keep making these. But they're good. Like, they're they're a good, satisfying tabletop game. It's a bit of a steep entry. Like, not everybody wants to drop 120 bucks for a board game. Um, but, like, this is some of the best board gaming i can think of like it's complex the the setup can take a while mm-hmm. but any cool mini or not game i play i i generally yeah, really enjoy there's a, so. there's a quality there i mean there's a reason they've been able to do so many and they keep continuously like shattering their requirements yeah every every freaking time um yeah i feel like cool mini or not is going to be an established brand for a a long time so i mean i i feel obligated to also communicate that they do have miniature games as well um that they don't do kickstarters for anymore because the brand's already established but they're trying to grow their communities um and uh dark age is the one that i'm interested in right now and it's a very it's a skirmish game very similar to uh i guess if for you, the best analog would be um, War Machine and, and Hordes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, when I say tabletop, I mean you actually play on a tabletop. You bring the terrain, or if you're like me and Stu, you play on a whiteboard <laughs> and draw your terrain. Hey, it works. Which is an incredibly cheap way to play tabletop games, let me tell you. Yeah. If you can't afford terrain and you you want to set up an interesting board every time, Get a whiteboard, 4x4, 6x4, just get one and draw your own terrain. Um, You will not regret it, and you will save a lot of money if you are not a terrain builder or a painter. Um, But uh, yeah, very similar to War Machine and Hordes, except it's not about the caster. Like, it's it's just about the units. Uh, This game, uh, anywhere between 3 to... Three to fifteen models makes up an army, and that's because they're kind of like Godzilla-sized models that you can use. Um, so you can choose to go big, um, heavy tanks, or you can choose to go like horde mode if you want. But uh, most games are pretty fast; takes about sixty minutes. Um, and it's a D twenty system, so you roll a twenty-sided dice for all rolls. So variability is much higher. Yeah. Um, but it, it also means you can do a lot more. Um, it, it makes the changes that you implement in the game a little more significant. Um, but I think you've always been a fan of less variability, haven't you? Uh, for the most part, yes. 
there's just I don't know. There's something I I would I'm generally gonna prefer a game where you're rolling d6s rather than d hundreds. Yeah. Um, do <laughs> if somebody makes a game with a d hundred, I don't know if I even want to play that. But uh, well, it's like but yeah, all the uh, harp and merp role playing systems. They're all d hundred. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> that's horrifying. Yeah, no, it it, it really is. That's huge margins of variability. That like you're getting into calculus level sort of trying to figure out how things work. Well, it's just there. not worth figuring out how things work. <laughs> I mean. No. Um yeah, uh, okay. But anyways, uh, just for just for a quick plug for Dark Age, all the rules are online. Um all the creature uh cards, so like all the cards for all the units are online, like um they update them regularly and balance them for fair play. Um, so if something's dominating a little too hard, they'll do an update. They'll notify everybody uh, through a uh, through the online site, and then they they just they try to balance. They continuously play test the game just to try and make factions as balanced as possible. Um, I don't know. It's it's a very different type of community, um, especially if you're used to. Uh, War Machine, Hordes, uh, or uh, 40k. Um, it's not... I mean, th- there'll always be the fanfare of releasing a new faction or doing a refresh for a faction. Um, but the fact that all the rules are online, they're not trying to sell them to you. All the cards are online, they're not trying to sell them to you. Like They, just, they want you to buy the models and play the game and have fun. And they want you to be able to do it and not have to worry about the price point for entry. And the fact that most of the faction boxes boxes are about sixty bucks U.S., so I don't know, a little closer to seventy. But like, you can get a, an army out of that box right away that you can just play. Um, I, I think that that's good, and I do not mind promoting it if you like to play tabletop. Uh, the one thing that not a lot of people know, especially if you've never played tabletop, is usually, uh, and especially in this case, you have to assemble the models and you have to paint them yourself. Um, Stu, did you enjoy assembling your models for uh, for War Machine? Some of it. Some of the assembly was fun. Um, magnetizing things was really interesting in the, the cases yeah. when I did that. That was, <laughs> that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, That's super cool, actually. I like yeah. that. The painting, I enjoyed having painted models. The act of painting, I unfortunately don't enjoy enough for the amount of patience it takes me. It has been so long since I've painted yeah. that I'm actually convinced that I want to paint something. But, um, like, I'm, I'm getting a Dark Age army together. Um, I've actually got enough models that I could uh, I could play tournaments right now, but I haven't painted any of them. But I actually want to. Well, give her. <laughs> How many? How many models are there? Eight. Oh, that's, see, that's not even too bad. No, it isn't. That and that's the thing. And they're like nice-looking models. Um, uh, I'm I'm getting ones that have flesh because I I learned a long time ago that I'm better at painting flesh than I am most metal. Um, and not not too many like dangly bits or weird yeah. things. Like remember um, when the gargantuans and the colossals came out for uh, oh. hordes and war machine. Yeah. Um, and I put together that, God, what was that, uh, that giant thing for the scorn that had, uh, those, the cannons on its back. War chariot or something, right? Um, no, the, the big, it was like a big elephant elephant looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forget how many pieces that was. I think it was like uh, uh, 68 to 80 different <laughs> little fibbly bobs yeah. that I all that I had to glue all together, and I ended up losing one or two of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, even but yeah, even yeah. the Syrah, the Syrah one had like a unit's worth of men dangling off of it. Like, come on, <laughs> who's got time for this shit? Yeah, well, um, not us as we get older, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, these guys, yeah. these models went together really easy, and um, I'm excited to paint them, and I'm excited to play the games. So, yeah. That's uh, that's where I'm at, and I think that's really that's where I go for plug because we actually plugged for almost eleven minutes mm-hmm. there. So, um, okay, you want to bring this one to a close? Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, then, um, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I hope I hope that we didn't weird you out with uh, the table talk, uh, the or the tabletop stuff. Um, it's important to understand uh, that both board games and tabletop games are also a very valid avenue for learning um and i anticipate that in the future we will have either a board game or a tabletop episode um just because there are some incredibly valuable skills that you learn from playing those as well as uh rpgs um and i mean tabletop rpgs so like D, um anything from white wolf stuff like that like we i would like to have um have episodes like that because there's some really valuable stuff you can get out some uh, out of some of these game systems either as a um a gm so a game master a person who runs the games or a player character um you'd be really surprised what you can take out of it um but uh that said if you if if you want to know more about learn from gaming podcast We've got all kinds of social media stuff going on that is not getting updated yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so go ahead and check out our Facebook, check out our Twitter, check out our website at learnfromgaming.com. And um, yeah, just uh, just just look for our uh, podcast wherever you want. Uh, hopefully by the time you're hearing this, it's on iTunes. So uh, and, and maybe other outlets, I'll look into those as we move forward. And if you have any suggestions, just uh, shoot us an email. So yeah, thanks again for joining us, and uh, tune back in soon. We'll see you next time. All right, yeah. Say bye, Stu. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.